0: Hey guys, welcome back to yet another episode of SAFT Apologetics, SAFT podcast. And it's been a long time since I've been back on uh, the podcast because there has been a lot happening at my end, but I'm really glad to be back with you all. And with you, Jacob, it's been so long. Uh, Nice to see you. You're, as always, looking evergreen, handsome. And okay, let me ask you this question. I've been wanting to ask this. What's the secret behind this, Jacob? Uh, well, first of all, let me start off by saying to
1: that we are testing out a new recording setup. So, which is my audio is suboptimal. Oh, yeah. um, so, kindly forgive us for that. We will resolve this within the next episode as well. Um, that being said, uh, there isn't... Um, <laughs> the, the audience might be thinking right now that these guys are supposed to get into casual uh, conversation, not cringe conversation. Um, so, there isn't any secret to the the way I look or how I look, I mean, if if I were one punch man, maybe I would have said stuff like, "All oh, the secret to whatever there is would be hundred sit ups, hundred push ups, ten kilometers runs and stuff."
0: But I'm no one punch man, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't believe that. <laughs> yeah. So uh,
1: yeah, So you you're joining back after a while, and uh, so what we were doing in in mm-hmm. the last episode as you know and the soldiers to recap for audience also we start our dialogue into the kalam cosmological argument it's something that you know quite well right. um, you've seen me talk about it. you know how I, how I how i like that argument so we start our national theology talk into it hmm. and um, please let me ask you this what is the what is yeah. the kalam cosmological argument and by that i mean how do you state yeah. the argument
0: hmm so basically kalam cosmological argument it has three premises and uh, the first premise states that whatever begins to exist has a cause right. the premise two it states that the universe began to exist okay and the third and the final premise it states that therefore the universe had a cause yeah so that's the Kalam cosmological argument yeah so one thing i
1: want to point out right off the bat is that the Kalam doesn't have three premises; it has two premises and a conclusion so the last part is the conclusion, right. that, is, right. that is what we are moving towards. And, uh, because the thing is, like you said, with the deductive arguments, right, the Kalam cosmological argument is a deductive right. argument, we know that the argument is valid if the premises are true. So if you say the last thing, the universe has a cause, a premise, then by necessity of the argument, if that is a premise, it has to be true. But then what are you arguing for in the first place? So it cannot be, when you think about it, it right. cannot be a premise, it is a conclusion. And the other thing is also when you formulate mm-hmm. the kalam, it's essentially quite interesting. that You formulate it that way, yeah. whatever begins to exist has a cause. Because I've always said everything that begins to exist has a cause. It is there is no difference out there, but it just shows you that philosophers can take different words, different styles of presenting the argument, while sticking with the same thing. And the kalam also has that interesting part to it uh, because of the nature of it being a deductive argument, where you could say that. Uh, we, can, we can rephrase the Kalam Cosmological Argument to say, Premise 1, if the universe began to exist, then the universe has a cause. Premise 2, the universe began yeah. to exist. Conclusion, therefore the universe has a cause. So we just modified Premise 1 slightly. From saying everything or whatever that begins to exist has a cause. We just said, if the universe began to exist, then the universe has a cause. And we said, the universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. So uh, even Dr. Craig, who has been, like we mentioned before, um, the, the the pioneer mind behind kalam in in, in our current age, uh, he said that this sort of reformulation of the kalam, what it helps is that it doesn't get into um, sort of off-topic discussions on what happens at a subatomic um, level in terms of quantum fluctuation and all that stuff. Because you're not talking about everything that we are is talking about the universe part. And the defense of premise one, that we normally see with the normal version of the color, would still apply there. Because the principle at play, the, um, the principle of cause and effect at play still holds. It's just that you've reverted the argument in such a way that you are not allowing any person to get off to off-topic questions on you know, what would happen in that scenario, what would happen in the scenario. We're just talking about the universe. So it gets the point out. So it's it's just one of the flexibility that comes along with um, these sort of sophisticated philosophical arguments.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that was pretty clear. And uh, I mean, of course, like you and Stephen did a great job in the previous episode. And uh, I did make my notes. So uh, this one thing which you both touched upon, it's about uh, what is possible, what is probable and what is plausible. So, can you just, you know, repeat what's the difference between these three? Yeah, it, 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 it's, yeah it's very important that you brought that up. So, in the last episodes, it's sort of like a recap of
1: what we touched on. Um, We talked about the terms cause and nothing. So, we looked at what do we mean by the term cause. Hmm. What are the different types of causes that Aristotle identified? So, we specifically talked about efficient cause and material cause. And we also highlighted why having that distinction in mind is very useful when you're talking about the universe having a cause. Um, because then again, the reason we distinguish is that so that when you get to a certain point of the discussion, people will say things like, oh, well, how does God create the universe out of nothing? The Kalam doesn't say anything of that sort. And you will get into that ex creation out of nothing, theological dialogue there. So at that time, having this distinction would come into play. And also identify the difference between material and efficient cause. Um, you can refer back to our last episode for, for an in depth exploration, a simple layperson's in depth exploration on that. This distinction also helps to bring to effect much more powerfully what it means to say that something can come from nothing, what it means to say that something can be resisted without any cause. And then we looked at the term nothing, what that means, um, and what we understand the term nothing to mean and if we understand the term nothing in its proper sense, what is the implication to say something can come from nothing. Now when the says, you says know, something can come from nothing, what is the proper implication to it? Yeah. Now in, in that dialogue, um, Stephen of the bat asked me um, what, is the, what is the difference between um, probable and plausible and so I was immediately thinking of a good example to bring that to effect. And I realized that I didn't do a great job in outlaying that. So uh, so it's, it's, it's good that you asked about this distinction, especially because I have also talked to you yeah. earlier about uh, possible, plausible, and probable. Stephen asked about probable and hmm. uh, plausible because that's what we were discussing about. So these three terminologies, right? Possible, yeah. uh, probable, and plausible. Right. Now, we have very much heard about the term possible. Because we use that quite frequently even in our common Indian right. English usage. Uh, you are learning um, engineering, I am learning economics, so we obviously come across probability and stuff. Like we, I think we've come across this very clearly when we were in our 11th and 12th as well. Probability calculations, in yes. economics, we, in statistics yes. and stuff, we learned about Bayesian probability calculations and all that stuff. So probability was also a term that we would learn in school and we would otherwise use as well. But then plausible is something quite distinct that we we don't use the term plausible, even though the concept behind using the term plausible is part and parcel of our usage. We, we don't use the term plausible, but we we use the implications of that when, when we're talking about uh, things happening or not. Um, so so the interesting thing with um, possible and impossible, right, the first part, possible is that there are two types of impossibility. One would be um, what we call a strict logical impossibility, and the other would be a metaphysical impossibility. Right now, as soon as, as, soon as you hear that, you will wonder, what, what is this guy going all about? So, let me let me bring that to effect. So, when we say something is strictly logically impossible, it would be equivalent of saying um, a married bachelor or a square circle, right? these things are strictly logically impossible because they are inherent contradictions. They cannot be possible, Mm -hmm. right, and in a strict logical sense. Now one example, so this is strict logical impossibility. When you say something is metaphysically impossible, it doesn't mean that there is a contradiction in there. There doesn't seem to be an inherent contradiction like married, bachelor or square circle. But one example I see philosophers point out is an object with size but no shape. Well, there isn't a logical contradiction there, right? There isn't a logical contradiction there, but it immediately strikes us as impossible. We're talking about a metaphysical impossibility there. We're not talking about a logical impossibility. Now, we may use the term logic and logical very, um, quite simply, so that it may strike us as the same thing, but when you get into the nuances of the terminology, that's quite different. So, or here is much another easier example and I hope this works out. Uh, imagine you're trying to build a single-storey apartment, so not a multi-storey complex or anything, you're building um, a single-storey apartment and okay. the purpose of the apartment is to house 7 billion plus people in that apartment. So, it's a single-storey apartment, one, yeah, one single-storey and let's say you have only yeah. one floor yeah. Uh, one room per floor and that one room you can house
0: hmm.
1: one family, let, let whatever be that size. Okay. So you immediately see that even though there's nothing logically contradictory in that concept, it strikes us as an impossible thing to do, it is metaphysically impossible to achieve. So this is sort of the distinction that would come into play with when philosophers talk about things like Hilbert's Hotel. So an infinite, a hotel with infinite rooms, an infinite number of people turn up there. Mm. Well, there's nothing logically yes. impossible there, like a married bachelor or a square circle. But then you get into the nuances and you, when you get into the weird details, uh, into, into the weird of the details of what happens when an infinite number of people check out of hotel with infinite number of rooms. Then it starts bringing up problems as such. So this would be the distinction of what is strictly logically impossible and then metaphysically impossible. So, strictly logically impossible would be mm. an impossibility of contradiction inherent to it. You cannot actualize it in reality. A metaphysical impossibility doesn't deal with strictly logical impossibility. There's nothing contradictory out there. But it is impossible to bring it out uh, really out there in reality because of the concepts of that concept. So, let's like say, you know, an object with size but no shape Again, there's nothing inherently contradictory out there, but then you how do you get an object with size but no shape? That's seems impossible. In what sense I'm saying impossible? Not logical metaphysical. Hmm. So I know this may be a bit over the top for, uh, I mean, it was a bit over the top when I first learned it. Um, but then, I mean, this is how we get to learn stuff. Uh, so there's, there's no shortcut around it to put in this across. And uh, the second would be, um, probability. So now probability has to do with you know, the numerical part. It has to do with numbers. It has to do with our background information. Right. And it is, because it has to do with numbers it is something that you can calculate. Um, and an example would be um, winning a lottery. Right? Since it's pretty straightforward you can calculate that if there are 1 million people taking one lottery each and you are one of that persons then your chance of winning the lottery would be something like 1 in a million. Numerical base, calculatable and all that stuff. Now if we have background information that over the past 10 years, the even number of lotteries have been selected 90% of the time and you hold an even number, lottery number, then that background information yeah. will modify what our probability calculation is going to be. Because so that information is going to be part of our information data set and that is going to influence how we calculate probability. So probability is very straightforward and numerical concept. Uh, it is calculatable it can be quantified plausibility is not plausibility has to do with terms like likely and unlikely uh, reasonable and unreasonable analysis so when we say uh, and it has to do with more of the logical grounding that we share Um, as in um, not as much as of similarity with probability even though logic undergirds everything when we say something like um, can something come from nothing? We're not talking about the probability of something coming from nothing. We're talking about how likely is it, how reasonable is it, how sensible is it to say that something can come from nothing? Yeah. And this thing varies from people to people, which is why, I mean, me and I, I would believe that you also believe that we both would find it difficult to say that the moon landing was fake, right? Because of all the information, data set that we have yeah. of the the historical corners of that, how that happened. Um, the fact that it was a race between the US and the Russians and then it seems pretty obvious and it was a clear cut race, right? It was a clear cut race between the, the cosmonauts and the astronauts, the Soviets and the US. And so yeah. if the US were trying to fake the whole thing without ever actually going to the moon. It seems to be hmm. immediately uh, that the Russians would call out on that bluff, right? Because they're going to say, you guys didn't make it yeah. there, we we're going to make it to the moon. And it's a matter of huge national pride. so. That is one of the reasons, and there are many other reasons that we would say it is highly unlikely, it is highly unreasonable, it is highly implausible that the moon landing was fake, or that the Earth is flat. Mm-hmm. So we are not talking about probability calculation there, but what strikes us as reasonable. And it is for the same reason and I mentioned. I think I mentioned this in in when I was talking to Steven on the podcast that this plausibility part, the app the appeal of plausibility, the appeal of something being reasonable or likely or plausible will vary from people to people.
0: So when you present an argument like, hmm. especially when you present an argument from the resurrection,
1: all that stuff, there could be a genuine reason why some people may not be convinced. Um, no, maybe, no, I'm not talking about the entire of the argument, but maybe with some details of the argument. Because when you put together the argument, it's really hard to denounce the resurrection part. But maybe with some details of it, there it doesn't strike them as plausible. Just like there are you know, uh, honest, genuine people who think that the moon landing was fake. Because the data set before them right. strikes them right. as much more likely. And, and it's, it isn't quantifiable, so we can't, you know, in some objective sense, appeal to their intellect. So yeah, so these are the three decisions, and we have, I think, about five minutes left with our bite-sized podcast section. Uh, but this is the decision that I wanted to bring to effect in, in our last discussion. and. Uh, when we're talking about the arguments here, obviously all of them has to be strictly logically possible. They cannot have conditions in them. Sort um, And they have to be plausible as well. They have to be reasonable as well. Which is why we mentioned that in, when we're talking about directive arguments. When we say um, everything yeah. that begins to exist has a cause. No, that's, sta- that's a statement. The opposite of that would be um, things can begin to exist, let's say, without a cause. Okay, let's put it that way.
0: Yeah,
1: so things that begin to exist has a cause, the opposite would be things that begin to exist need not have a cause. Now our burden is to show that this first part, things that begin to exist have a cause, is true, more plausibly true than the negation or the opposite part of it. So if I say you know, something cannot come from nothing and the other person says no, 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 no something can come from nothing, well what strikes us more plausible, what strikes us more reasonable, what is more likely, what is more sensible? It immediately strikes us and when we go through the arguments also, which we will look into hopefully in the next episode, that something coming from nothing is not possible, is more sensible to affirm, that something cannot come from nothing, that thing is more sensible. It is more sensible than what, why are we using the term more? It is more sensible than what is the opposite part, something can come from nothing. And so we have to pick and choose between these two and the first one strikes us as more reasonable, more likely, more plausible and therefore that is what we affirm. This is something that we do in our daily life, right? Yeah. Um, it is much more plausible, much more reasonable to hold that I really exist, that you you really exist, that you are a real person who I am interacting with in this actual reality. The opposite would be that you know I'm dreaming this up. You're not actually a real person. I'm dreaming this interaction. Maybe science is doing some sort of um, weird experiment in my mind, or you know the the, the holograph theory mm-hmm. that or the simulation theory of how, we, how what we are experiencing in the reality is not really a reality, it's been a simulation done by some higher species and all that stuff. Well, what is more likely to hold? What is more reasonable to hold? It immediately strikes us, strikes us that, holding that what we experience as a real is more likely to be true. And that's, and that's the reason that we hold on to it. Not because we have 100% certainty, yeah. not because we have answered every single objection that the simulation theory or the hallucination, let's call it that, the reality of hallucination theory brings about.
0: No, it's not because we have answered every single question or every single possibility that may raise up,
1: but because we are more reasonable in holding what we know to be a reality than all that opposite yeah. side of stuff. And that's a sensible thing to do. And so the same thing that we appeal to when we get into the, into the argument for why something cannot come from nothing, why everything that means has a cause. And then when we get to the premise too that the universe began to exist, we are appealing to philosophical and scientific arguments, so
0: one immediately follows the other and you get to the conclusion that, what is the conclusion, Piyush? I mean, uh, actually I didn't quite get you, can you please repeat? <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: if you tell me that you do not get what yeah. I have been speaking for the past 15 minutes, then we are going to have a different, different call.
0: <laughs> no, I did. I did get a lot of it. But uh, towards the end, like, uh, I couldn't, uh, you know, like, here you there were some issues. But then I'm happy that, uh, you know, you touched on all these points with uh, proper clarity. And it was very important, I feel, because I had this question. I'm sure many of our audience, they also must have had this question. And uh, in today's episode, I think this is something which Jacob likes to talk about. Because if he starts talking about something which he likes you can't stop him in between. So in today's episode, you saw me towards the quieter bit and Jacob was just going on and on and on. Yeah, actually, 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 uh, uh, yeah uh, I'm happy. our plan that, the, uh, our plan the episode
1: was to talk about this and then get into uh, the rest of the argument stuff. But the, the issue is, like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you say probable, plausible, possible, it may sound like three simple terms. But once you try to break it down, yeah. you see that to break it down in layman terms, you have to go into lengthy you know, as one of my friend calls my mm-hmm. audio messages I had to go into an extempor mode to break it down else I could rush through right. it and then it's, it's the equivalent of reading a one line sentence or a one line definition online you, you don't you don't get it in, in how you can yeah. explain to another person so that's the difficulty um, mm. yeah so I hope this made sense to our audience uh, but anyway I'm, I'm quite excited looking forward to the next episode where we can get into more of the argument and then it will be more of a back and forth uh, between us as we go step by step and hopefully we'll have the audio issue sorted out by then
0: yeah and uh, yeah as jacob mentioned like it's very important that uh we understand like the words the three words sound very similar and uh, when we think about it 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 looks like it's easy to understand, but it's a bit complicated. And when we look at different real life uh, scenarios, different examples around us, it's very difficult to, you know, place them, uh, they fall under which category. And uh, definitely, I think after today's episode, most of our audience and myself will be able to do that. So thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, it's been a pleasure to be back again on the podcast. And uh, our playlist, this playlist, the entire natural theology playlist is available on YouTube. So I recommend that you go ahead and listen to us from episode one of this series. And uh, looking forward to the next episode, follow us on uh, our social media pages so that you'll stay updated. And um, yeah, that's it from our side. Uh, This is Jacob and Ankit signing off. Thank you for listening
1: to this episode. If you enjoy SAFT Podcast, do consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And know more about us at
0: www.saftapologetics.com.